Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for another day in our lives. We thank you for sending Jesus to come down, to live among us, to die on the cross for our sins, and to rise from the dead so that we have the hope of eternal life. Help us to live under your rule, under your kingdom, and to bring your kingdom to others. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Wait till that noise stops. All right. Happy Thanksgiving once again. It's good to see some new faces here. I'm sure we have people that are traveling or visiting, and it's always good to have uh, new folks uh, here joining us for worship. I have a question for you this morning as, uh, to begin with. What are the rules of life? How do you determine right and wrong? Who rules your life? Is it a self-rule? Or are you following someone else's lead, looking for someone else for direction? Well, I grew up in a time as a teenager in the 1980s when it was very popular, this word rules. We would use it for all kinds of things, like our favorite football team. I grew up in Washington, D.C. area, so we would say, the Redskins rule. Not so much now, but back then they were, they were pretty good. Or we'd pick our favorite band, like Pink Floyd or U2 or something like that, and we say they rule. Or then uh, if we were on a successful sports team, we might say, you know, our high school football team rules. We threw that term around very loosely. Even now I see bumper stickers around Hilton Head that say old guys rule. So we're still trying to revive that, you know. So we, uh, we have this need to rule things or to have things that will rule or control us. And I know those are kind of silly examples, but uh, also growing up, and those of you who had teenagers, I was very into this self-rule, especially as I became older, 17, 18 years old. Didn't want to listen to mom and dad anymore. I wanted to call the shots. And nine times out of ten, when I tried making up the rules, it didn't turn out so well. I'll give you two quick examples. We had a senior field trip uh, growing up around Washington, D.C. We went to the Capitol to see Congress and Senate, and I was thinking, that sounds really boring. So we decided uh, that we would go on our adventure of our own. So as soon as the bus dropped us all off, we walked the opposite way, blended in with another crowd, and decided to choose your own adventure, so to speak. Except our adventure was really not very, it was pretty lame. We didn't know where to go. We didn't know the city. We went to some expensive restaurant. We kind of wandered around asking directions to a lot of people. And then it came time to meet the bus again. And everyone else, believe it or not, had a much better time sitting in on you know, Congress than we did, just wandering around aimlessly, not knowing where to go. My self-rule on that day fell flat. Later that year, I conned my parents into letting me go on a ski trip, an unsanctioned ski trip, have you, uh, from a local ski shop. And I told my parents, oh, there'll be adult chaperones. I never saw any of those adult chaperones. And if they were, they were supposedly someone's brother, older brother or sister who we never saw. The bus driver looked like he had come from a Colonial Williamsburg tour. He was dressed up, in, and he looked like Sam Kennison, too, so I wasn't sure if he was trying to be Ben Franklin or what. He had these kind of circle glasses, and he turned around as we started our trip, and he goes, I have one rule and one rule only. There are no rules. Let's party. I promise you that happened, and uh, 
And unfortunately, as much as I'd like to say it was an amazing time, it was not. I mean, at the end of the week, we were just thankful to be home and be alive. Self-rule for a bunch of 17- and 18-year-olds did not go so well. Just one small example is like three or four people got frostbite. We went to Quebec, Canada, where the drinking age was 18, by the way, and it was just uh, not a good combination. Once again, our self-rule did not end up in a very good place. I think most of us, if we're honest in our own lives, we'd admit that our self-rule is oftentimes not sustainable. Some of us pour our lives into our work, and eventually we have to retire. Or maybe we don't get the promotion. Or maybe we're very successful, but the retirement comes and we have to go to a whole new chapter in our lives when we're not as important as we once were. For some of us, we seek after money and fame. I think all of us have that desire in us to be more successful. Jim Carrey, the actor, has a quote that says this, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know that that is not the answer. For some of us, we are into like our health and we try to you know, eat organic and know this, know that. We try to do everything and it's you know, very good to do that. However, even the healthy of us, healthiest of us, eventually time is going to catch up with us. We don't live forever even when we take really good care of ourselves. For some of us, we try to control time. We make lists and we try to accomplish things. But time is not forgiving, and time keeps ticking, even when we can't accomplish things. For some of us, we try to control what we choose and how we live life, and then we go to the supermarket, and there's 17 brands of barbecue sauce. And that's just a microcosm of life in general as we're looking at all the choices. And what do we do next? Or maybe we're looking for that elusive peace. We go on a vacation, we catch that moment for like one day when everything just works. We have that perfect cup of coffee and we just feel so good for a little while. And then the next crisis comes. So where's the hope in this life when we're trying to self-rule? Do we just live and become worm food? Is everything meaningless? As Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, is there something else going on? Is there hope for us? Is there a set of rules or a ruler that we can follow that will make life good even though we have struggles? Well, I believe this morning that there is really good news for us. That in spite of the chaos that we see in our world, in our own life, we have an eternal ruler, and that is Christ the King. He conquered sin on the cross and death in the the resurrection. When we recognize and submit our lives under his rule, we can find lasting peace, purpose, and lives marked by courage, even as we go through struggle. So how do we enter into this kingdom? Well, first of all, I want to reiterate that, trying to, that our work, our money, our health, our time, our peace, our control, that stuff is not sustainable. So once we recognize that and truly recognize that those things don't last, we're on the right track. But the second thing we need to recognize is that we cannot earn our way into God's favor. Righteousness, righteousness is not based on our behavior. Self-righteousness never works. There were several readings in the lectionary, and I didn't choose them all because it would take up too much space in your bulletin, but one of them was from Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet echoes this uh, sentiment that our self-righteousness never works. The prophet writes, We have all become like one who is unclean, 
And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There was no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. See, this Old Testament prophet was familiar with the fall of Adam, how that led to sin, to exile, to chaos, and ultimately to death. And he knew that even the best of people in their self-righteousness would not meet God's standards. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul understood this. Being, a, being from a Jewish background, he writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's hope in all of this. Because before Paul wrote that in the middle of it, I just kind of picked a little verse out there. But he writes, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But listen to the next part. But all are justified freely by his grace through through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus, the second Adam, he lived a perfect life. He did not sin. He took on our humanity He conquered our sin and death on the cross and through the resurrection. It's not from our good deeds where we find faith or right standing from God. It's surrendering our lives and submitting our lives to Christ. Submitting our lives to his reign. In Mark's gospel it says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Gospel is good news. Repent and believe. No more self-rule, putting our lives, letting the ultimate ruler, Christ, rule our lives. So what are the characteristics of his rule and his reign in our lives? What does it look like to join this? First of all, his reign is all about life. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he writes this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Out of darkness into light into life. In our uh, reading from Corinthians, it says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made, all will be made alive in Christ. Christ destroyed death on the cross. The last enemy to be destroyed be destroyed is death. The resurrection is the hinge of our faith. Everything holds together from that. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of nice stories. But if you really read into the Bible, stories aren't all nice. Jesus dies on a cross, a bloody death. But on that Friday, the good news was there was a Sunday when he rose again. So there's hope for us. John writes in his gospel, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So the first rule of his kingdom is his kingdom is about life, not death and not darkness. Secondly, his kingdom is about hope. Notice in the reading it said twice first fruits were a sign of the harvest to come. It talks about these first fruits. Christ, the first fruits. In Jewish thought, or in, in Jewish practice, they would always give the first fruits in the, of the harvest as a dedication, as a sacrifice to God. And once they did that, then the people could eat and enjoy the harvest. 
So when Paul used those words of the first fruits, it's to point to the hope we have in Christ. The hope that was accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. So that everyone can live lives of hope. So with this life and hope that characterize this kingdom, the other thing is there's struggle in this kingdom. If we're all honest, even those who put on the most optimistic attitude or read all the positive self-help books, life hurts sometimes. Life is full of struggle. We talk about, and theologians will talk about many times, that Christ's kingdom has come, but it's not fully realized. That Satan has a rogue rule, so to speak. So we do see evil and chaos in this world. But ultimately, the battle was won on the cross and through the resurrection. Jesus is the king. In Matthew's gospel, he uses this kingdom uh, uh, theology and words throughout his gospel. Notice the Magi, remember the Christmas story, they're looking for the king. And they find the baby Jesus laying in a manger. Throughout, Jesus, throughout the gospel and through all, the, the, all four gospels, Jesus talks about what his kingdom is like. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about who will benefit, who be benefit, beneficiaries of his kingdom, the poor in spirit, the humble, the meek. He speaks in his kingdom language. And on that Palm Sunday we celebrate, he declares himself king as the people throw palms and say praise to, uh, to the king who's come on high. Holy, holy, they say. And then, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, out of mockery, but ironically it was true, the guards and the torturers put a sign above Jesus that said, Jesus, king of the Jews. But Jesus made that come true. He rose from the dead. He sent his... Uh, Disciples who became apostles who had seen the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit, and that early church started from a few people that began to usher in this kingdom. And here we are 2,000 years later as people who have the responsibility, as we say in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. We're responsible for bringing life, for bringing hope, for being with people in their struggle, and to tell people that death does not have the final word to all who believe. So I want to continue to expand on our role as we join in this uh, kingdom of life and hope. Kingdom that brings hope to those who struggle. So what is our role exactly? In our Book of Common Prayer, which is based on Scripture, by the way, throughout it, it says this is our role. Christ took on our human nature so that in him human beings might be adopted as children of God and be made heirs of God's kingdom. So all of us are joining in in his kingdom who believe. Theologian Scott McKnight writes this, Jesus is more than Savior. Jesus is the king, and he is creating a kingdom in which he is the ruler. That's the message of the story of the Bible, that God will dwell with us through Jesus so that we can become the people of God in this world. We participate in ushering in God's kingdom and being part of his ministry of redemption and reconciliation. So as far as ambassadors, we also join in what God is doing. He is the defender of the weak and the helpless. In Kathy's reading from the gospel, it was interesting. The righteous didn't even know that they had been doing these good things. It says, the righteous answered him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw a stranger and welcomed you, or naked 
and gave you clothing. And when, it was, when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. When we join his kingdom, we don't even realize that our lives are changing and transformed. We can't help but to have a heart for the weak and the helpless. About seven years ago, my brother-in-law got diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia, and they needed to do a bone marrow transplant. Fortunately, none of his siblings were exact matches, so they had to go to the uh, donor base. They found a guy from Israel who had a very close match. It wasn't perfect. My brother-in-law survived. He's doing well now. But because of that bone marrow, he has a brand-new DNA, brand-new blood. If he did Legacy.com, it wouldn't say he's Irish anymore. Now he's of some you know, Jewish ancestry somewhere. He actually told me that he craves different foods. And he even said he doesn't like pork anymore. So maybe there's something to that. When you all submit your lives to Christ, when you become believers, he gives you a new DNA. You can't help but do the things that Christ does to care for the sick, the hopeless, the friendless people who are struggling. It becomes part of who you are. That's why when Kathy read that passage, even though it sounds so harsh, there's really good news for everyone here who believes. It's not a list where you can say, when you get to judgment seat, well, I helped 20 old ladies, I um, fed the poor, I fed the sick, and you you keep going through the pages. It's going to become such a part of you that you cannot help but do that. You see, when we get this new way, new DNA, we understand that God loved us. So we become people in the world that deeply care about other people because we know that God cares about people. We live lives of, uh, of being prepared to meet God one day, not in a scary way, but knowing what he's about. Walt Disney, uh, when he was, uh, before he started to make uh, the Disney parks, he visited a bunch of different amusement parks, And he was appalled at all the trash on the ground. So if you ever visit a Disney World or anywhere, it's almost immaculate. They have people cleaning up nonstop. I had a friend who worked there, and he said that the back door is as clean as the front door. It just is part of the DNA of that company. And so I'm not telling you as believers that you need to be immaculate and, you know, you can't be hoarders and things like that. But I am telling you, as far as your lives go, that everything matters. Not just putting a smiling face at church but your occupations, your lives, your retirement, what you do with your day, how you treat people and love others and care for people, and what you do when you're alone, all those things matter because we are part of his family, his family that brings life and hope and shares struggles with other people because we have that ultimate hope in Christ and eternal life. We are a community that does not shy away from struggle. and We always remember that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we truly can live with hope. So let me ask this question again to you, now that I've kind of gone over and described this kingdom. Who rules your life? Is it you? Or have you submitted your lives to Christ? If you haven't done that yet, maybe today is the day that you surrender. That you say, God, I'm tired of doing life on my own. I know it's not sustainable. 
Fill me with your new DNA so I can be part of your family and care for the things that you care about in a much better way than I do. Or perhaps you've already made that commitment. You just need to be reminded of that hope that you have. Or you need to be reminded to share that with somebody who's not here this morning. I'm going to read once again from the Book of Common Prayer. We're about to have a baptism, so there's a few, there's some really good liturgy in there. But it says this as far as we as a church. We talked about you and what you'll do with the message. It says, we as a church, as a lay people, our job is to represent Christ as ambassadors, to bear witness to him wherever they may be, according to the gifts given them, to carry on Christ's work of reconciliation in the world and take their place in the life, worship, and governance of the church. So in other words, we need to go to church, be a part of the family, and then go out in the world and be part of reconciling, redeeming all that is lost all that is broken, all that is dark, all that does not have hope, all that struggles. You see, they will know we are Christians by our love. It's important for us as Christians to make stand about, stands about different issues, but I think so often the world sees Christians as what we're against as opposed to the God that we serve. Pope Francis said, Let your lives be a living sign of God's great mercy. We need to be a community that's marked by grace, love, and mercy. When we do that, when we embrace that from the inside, it can't help but work its way out into the world. As I mentioned, we're about to have a baptism. And Christopher Holland is about to be baptized. And in the liturgy it says this, We share in his victory when he is baptized into the new covenant and becomes a living member of Christ. All of us are called to be living members. Not zombie members, half dead, who are just kind of sitting there taking up space, but living members, full of Christ's life, ready to go out and share this reign of Christ with a world that is broken, to help to bring about, as we say in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So take away, make Jesus the ruler of your life. Recognize his rule. Submit to him. His rule not only brings you life, but it brings life to others. This week, live with a deep awareness of this fact. Your DNA will change. You will see people and love people and have mercy on people the way Christ has mercy and loves you. Let us pray. Lord, this is Christ the King Sunday in the church calendar. You are our King. Help us all to recognize that. Help us to submit to your rule and to your rules, to live lives that care deeply for others, to live lives of hope and life, lives that do not shy away from struggle but embrace it and tell people that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is the hope of eternal life even when things are tough. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.